You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot-button Internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on Internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning. This is Bennett Kelly. You're listening to Cyber Law and Business Report broadcast live from the Internet Law Center here in the heart of Silicon Beach in Santa Monica. Please be seated. we got a great show for you today. Um, and um, I'm reminded of that old song, I Was Country Before Country Was Cool, because we have two pioneers today, each of whom um, were basically in, innovators in their field before even the field existed. Um, and we're going to start off with uh, John Ferrara, who's a, a CRM evangelist, um, who had been um, founded Goldmine Software and now is a founder and CEO of um, Nimble. And he's going to tell us all about that. In the second half, we, uh, we have Robert Ellis Smith coming back, you know, who has been um, printing the, uh, publishing the, the Privacy Journal since the 70s. You know, and as one person noted, Robert Ellis Smith was in privacy was in the privacy field before the field even existed. And so um, very two very interesting men um, with a lot of facets to them. And, and actually the, the tragedy today is that we only have an hour and that we, um, we do, we're just listening over the radio. We, this, these both men are um, people you definitely want to sit down and have dinner and drinks with because um, they've really um, have done a lot in their, in their field and they're very interested in innovative people. So, um, let's start with the first course, which is uh, John Ferrara, who is an evangelist for CRM. John, are you with us? I am, Bennett. Uh, thank you so much for allowing me to uh, join you in your community and get up on my soapbox to talk about something that's near and dear to my heart, relationships and how they affect your ability to reach your dreams. I was offline. I was teasing John about um, – you know, the fact that he, he, he's not going to get invited to any man cave because the, the heart of John's um, career is about getting people to focus on um, relationships, engagement, and actually listening to what the other people are saying. Well, you know, you, you can't learn how you can serve another human being without listening. 
And ultimately, you need to do a little bit of homework before you connect with somebody because I truly believe that business is about serving other people and helping them grow. The more people you can help grow, Bennett, the more you'll grow. And you can't understand how you might serve another human without understanding who they are and what their company is about. And that starts by uh, asking a couple of questions and shutting the F up. You got it. So um, so John's career began – well, I shouldn't say it began. But um, the first company John founded um, was in um, 1989, was it? It was uh, 1989. It was a company called Goldmine. And um, tell us something about that. Well, you know, I was a business professional working for a technology startup, and uh, I had moved from uh, systems engineer to sales. And in the process of working as part of a sales team, I saw that, uh, that things were broken, that we, it was hard to manage leads and contacts and engagement and drive forecasts and business. And back in the day, we did all that with leather-based day timers, pink while you're out, slips and spreadsheets. And because I grew up in the microcomputer uh, age, I worked my way through college and a computer land store. I knew every single application known to mankind at the time on microcomputers. I knew there wasn't a relationship platform that would enable a team to work effectively to uh, turn connections into conversations and relationships into revenue. So at uh, 29 years old, I was too young and dumb to know any better. I quit my job. And I uh, got together with a college friend of mine, uh, and uh, we essentially created what would become the pioneer of not just at contact management, SFA, CRM, but email marketing as well. Goldmine predated Outlook. We were the Outlook of our generation. We predated Salesforce. We were the Salesforce of our generation. But ultimately, Goldmine was not a CRM. It was a relationship platform because it's not just salespeople that touch the customer. Everybody in the company Mm -hmm. participates in that conversation. And what a company needs is a platform that enables everybody to be on one page with that customer so that when they pick up the phone, they know exactly who they are and how they might be of service to them. No, so you founded Goldmine with what I think I read something like $3,000 or something? It was closer to $5,000, but it doesn't really make a difference. We, we didn't have shit, Bennett. We were, <laughs> we were two kids that didn't know any better. We didn't even know what a VC was. We just thought we had to build a business and, and essentially grow it the old-fashioned way, and we did. And, um, you know, one of the things I learned working at my first startup – uh, it wasn't my startup. It was a startup I was working for, this company called Banyan. It was a network operating system company. We basically got our asses kicked by this company called Novell. And mm-hmm. uh, we were selling an enterprise product direct uh, to large corporations. And Novell was selling this product that was affordable, easy to get started with. And they sold it through uh, uh, local VARs uh, at a work group level in small, medium, large, and enterprise companies. And, uh, and I saw that was the future, is not selling to an entire enterprise, but really delighting individuals and small teams within any size company. And so I modeled Goldmine after that in many ways. In fact, I cold called every single Novell reseller in the country, and I got them to use Goldmine because people sell what they know and they know what they use. They started to use it. They started to recommend it. Each one of them had 1,000 to 5,000 customers that had a network, and I had the first network car, the first network business app, and that's what essentially bootstrapped the company. So on $5,000, no bank loans, no venture capital, we grew that company into uh, a company that 10 years later, we were we had over 2 million customers. We were doing $70 million a year in revenue, 
and um, and it was uh, and it was an incredible ride. And then you sold it for something like eighty three million, I believe, or. You know, the total concern was about 125. Nice, uh, and it was cash. Even better. <laughs> so, um, from your gold mining experience, you actually took some time off and um, spent time with your family, and and, and then you came back for Nimble. Um, How did you get the concept for Nimble? Well, you know, I'm I'm like a musician. I hear notes in my head, and I pick up my guitar and I start to strum the guitar and play with it a little bit. And, uh, and, and, and play those little bits of songs for people and to see how they resonate. But ultimately, what made me build Goldmine was a personal need. I couldn't manage relationships effectively, individually or as a team. And, uh, and it turned out that the problem that I had was the same problem that millions of people had. And when I created Goldmine, this, there was a revolution going on in the way people do business, microcomputers, notebooks, Client server computer, uh, all of these things were changing it so that you could actually put uh, technology in field offices and put technology in the hand of uh, mobile reps. I built a platform that leveraged those technology changes and empowered a new way of working. When I started to first use Twitter, uh, it was uh, oh God, who's that? Who's that guy? Uh, Twit uh, TV. Uh, yes. Uh, uh, oh God, I can't think of his name, but he's always introducing new technology. He started talking about this thing, Twitter. And I was like, really? 140 characters? What's that all about? And, uh, and I started to use it. And, and I was, of course, using Facebook at the time. And I started, to, you know, I put a LinkedIn uh, thing up there. And I saw that social was going to change the way we work and play, the way uh, people build their brands, grow their networks, and to participate in the new customer journey because they're making decisions. Uh, not by looking at market materials, not by talking to your sales reps, but by having conversations amongst themselves. How do you participate in this new digital social customer journey as a company? Uh, I saw that social is going to change the way we worked and played, and, and I looked at for a way to manage my relationships and conversations across all my channels. So the way you manage relationships today is contact, calendar, and communications. And your contacts aren't just in... Uh, your email, they're in Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, et cetera, as are your conversations. How do you pull all that together effectively? And, uh, and I saw that Outlook address book and Google contacts didn't integrate social or the contacts and CRMs weren't about relationships. They're about reporting and management uh, uh, tools. And so I saw an opportunity to create a next generation intelligent relationship platform for individuals and teams that automatically builds itself because the biggest problem with CRM is nobody wants to use it. Nobody wants to type anything in a database. And so the data that's in the CRM is whatever you force people to do. And you don't even live in your CRM. You live in your inbox or spreadsheet. And so Nimble automatically builds the contacts, the activities, and the conversations from everywhere you're doing them and then mines them for you to then connect with the right customer at the right time on the right channel to help you achieve your business goals. And, um, you know, when I came up with this idea four years ago and started the company in 2010, people had no idea that uh, that social was going to change the way businesses operate. So we we're early, just like with Goldmine. But I'll tell you what, you can't throw a stick without somebody talking about personal brand and content and social selling these days. And we basically pioneered it. 
And um, just for record, we're talking about Leo Laporte from Twit TV. Yes. And um, sorry about the phone. Somewhere. I just want to make sure that's not my ring. No, it's mine, but it's, it's buried under something, so I can't find it. But um, any event, yeah, Twit TV, um, we've actually been on the This Week in Law with Denise Howell. And um, so it's a, it's a great outfit they have over there. Now, um, it, it seemed that it, when what you discovered was that people said, okay, social media is happening, but it happens over there. And all the other products weren't really focused on over there. They're like, you know, you can do that, you know, but we're, we're still going to deliver you something that, doesn't, that ignores over there, whatever that is. You know, someday we'll figure it out. And, uh, you know, I think your innovation was you, you said, no, I mean, a lot, a lot of important things is happening over there. Why not integrate it? Well, I think that the, the key thing that I figured out over 20 years ago is that relationships are built from contact, calendar, and communications. Mm-hmm. That's the heart of them. And back in the day, in the goldmine days, there was no tool that integrated your contacts, your calendar, and your email into one cohesive platform. We were the first company to do that and to integrate uh, sales automation and email automation into one cohesive platform. Today with CRM systems, believe it or not, they don't automatically integrate contact calendar communication. You do that in Outlook today or in Google Contacts or an address book in Apple. And the funny thing is, Bennett, is that your contacts are in three separate islands in Google. So you have Google Contacts, Google Mail, and Google Cal. And if you go to your Google Contacts, it doesn't tell you anything. There's no history. There's no pending. There's no social. There's no nothing. And so... I think the biggest thing that we've done with Nimble is to bring together your contact calendar and communication because ultimately as a business person, you can't function without context about the contacts that you're engaging with. And beyond the basic history and pending of email, calendar, and contacts, we've brought in the social information because ultimately you Google somebody before you have a meeting because you need to do your homework and understand who they are and what the company's about. But the problem is, is that nobody types that shit into anything. And even if you did, it would decay over time like fish. So the biggest issue with data is bad databases, is bad data. And so the reason they call it Salesforce is you have to force salespeople to use it. And so (laughs) nobody types anything in a database. And why should you? A computer can do that. So I think the biggest thing that we did with Nimble is to build a relationship platform. You can call it a CRM. I kind of hate the word CRM because it has connotations of finger on the pulse of business and hand around the neck of the salesperson. I believe that your computer should do the hard work and you should do the human work because the more digital we get, the more human we need to be. And it's not B2B or B2C. It's P2P and H2H. People buy from people. And so if you can more effectively be prepared to understand how you can serve another business person or company, you have a higher probability of winning that business. So it's not about social. It's not about like social media. Forget that word. You know, Bennett, do you remember when everything was I this and E that in the days, right? Nobody talks about that anymore. And so they're not going to talk about social in the future. It's going to be the same thing as a telephone, right? It's just another channel of communication. But I do think what social is doing is it's increasing the transparency and the expectations of people to companies, of employees to employers, and of people to people. And I think that that's going to cause a revolution 
in, um, in the way we work. Because I truly believe that the idea of madmen marketing, interrupt uh, messaging, bag them and tag them salespeople is over. Salespeople have a lower reputation than attorneys. Sorry, Bennett. Um, but, but, but <laughs> we'll you, take it. <laughs> but, but you know what I mean by that, right? Entirely. And, and ultimately, you've done business with Slick Willie salespeople before, and you've done business with people that are professionals. And when you are truly served by another human being, where they're there to help you grow, you feel it. And that's what we need to be doing as business people. But the problem is in today's overconnected, overcommunicated world, it's hard to identify people that matter, to reach out and build a relevant and authentic pay it forward relationship. So when that person thinks of you, your products or services, not only do they call you, but they bring their friends. That is the way you need to do business. Nimble just makes it easier and fun. Now, you use the term social selling. What do you mean by that? Well, I think that social was applied to the word CRM. It's now being applied to the word selling. Sales has always been social. Business has always been social. Right. But the idea of social selling is that you can't depend on your marketing department to generate leads for you and help you go out there and achieve your business goals. You need to, as a business professional, be building your brand and nurturing your network on a daily basis because your professional net worth is equal to the sum of your personal brand plus your professional network. And so your brand is built by the action, by the actions you take and the words that you share. And that brand directly affects your ability to build your network. And your network is what's going to help you achieve your business goals. And your network isn't LinkedIn connections, Facebook likes, or Twitter followers. It's people that you've identified that matter in and around the areas of promise your product and you've reached out and built a pay-it-forward relationship. And that's hard to do with all the contacts that we have. The average Nimble customer has 5,000 contacts. Dunbar's limit, a study by this English professor, says that you can't manage more than 100, 150 people. How do you manage all that? You need a tool to do it. And so if you want to succeed in business in the future, you need to become a trusted advisor to your prospects and customers. And how do you do? How do you get top of mind with those people? You do it by teaching them to fish. So basically, if you teach people how they can grow, they'll figure out that you are an expert in your field. So I know you do this, Ben, and on a regular mm-hmm. basis, yes. you share content that inspires and educates other people about the areas of promise of your services. And then what they do is they think of you as a thought leader and expert, and they contact you when they need somebody like that. So that's called content. And you know what? Most business professionals have forgotten more about their products and services than their customers ever know in their life. So if you give your knowledge away, then people then see you as a trusted advisor, and they'll connect and contact you. And so today, if you don't have an identity on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Pinterest, Instagram, Foursquare, Google+, et cetera, and you don't have a great picture of yourself, a bio, links to your main sites, and you're not sharing content on a regular basis that does what I call the five E's of social business, educate, enchant, engage, embrace, and empower your customers, that's sharing content that, that inspires them, then they bite on that content. You got to reel those people in and develop relationships with the key people that matter. Doing all this stuff that I just said is not easy in six different tabs in your browsers and three different apps in your desktops. Nimble makes it fun and easy. And it, it does, actually. I, I use it. And one thing that was interesting is that um, in terms of this company you didn't start with five thousand dollars you put you put your own money but you've also um you've raised um several million 
and and from some notable people, um, Mark Cuban, Jason Calcanis, Google Ventures, um, which obviously you know is speaks volumes for what um, you know, the respect for you as an entrepreneur and the product. Um, but how was it? Um, how, what did you do differently this time in launching Nimble versus um, Goldmine? Well, you know, it's interesting. I'm, I'm using a lot of the same methodologies. Um, at Goldmine, I didn't start advertising until five years into the company. No ad spend at all. Um, at Nimble, we have not spent a dime on advertising. So we're generating 70,000 unique visitors per month on our website, converting it up to 10% to trial and 25% to paid with no ad spend and no salespeople. And, uh, and the way we did that at Goldmine is we identified the key influencers of our core constituency in and around the areas of promise of our product. In those days, it was Novell resellers. We built a relationship with them. They then became our evangelists. We then fed them with more leads by telling stories. We went out and, uh, and told stories about how customers were building relationships and growing their business uh, and we told those stories to the publications that influenced our prospects. In those days, it was PC Magazine, um, Forbes, Inc., uh, Entrepreneur Magazine, etc. And so now you flash forward to today. The way we built the Nimble brand is identifying the influencers of our core audience in around those areas of promise or product. So thought leaders in sales, marketing, customer service, social media, social business. And we built relationships where they became users and evangelists. And that's essentially what scaled our brand. And um, and essentially, that is the way that uh, we're now growing the business is, is through influence and storytelling. And we're teaching our customers to do the exact same thing because nobody wants to read your marketing material and in many cases, nobody wants to talk to salespeople anymore. What they want to do is they want to make better decisions faster. And so if you can participate in your customer's digital journey, be thought of as a company that can add value, uh, they'll think of you. And so um, we're building Nimble in much the same way we built Goldmine. Now what we're doing is we built a product that's scalable, sticky, and we're ready to put the foot on the gas that's why we brought in some money to help start scaling the company faster because you just need to do things a little faster these days. And um, we're going to take a short break. Um, when we come back, we'll have more from John Ferrar talking about Nimble after these messages. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. When you started your business, you first listened to your professors. Now that your business is growing and gaining ground, you only seek out professionals. PPC Professionals, an industry leader for highly optimized search marketing campaigns with over 30 years of combined management experience. Our professional approach to every campaign helps you find every avenue of revenue so that you can not only stay ahead of your competitors, but get a return on your investment and increase your bottom line. PPC Professionals, personal, professional, PPC services, ppcprofessionals.com. Whether you are an online business or domain name investor, you need access to the best names. With over 270 million domains already registered, finding the right names at the best price requires a great wingman. Namejet.com puts you in the pilot seat by giving you fast and unparalleled access to some of the best premium and expired domain names on earth. As the number one domain name auction platform, Namejet.com is the best place to find domains for your business or investments. 
So light the afterburners to the domain name aftermarket and fly over to Namejet.com at box speed to get great domains today. Namejet.com. Hey, this is Danny Sullivan to talk to you about Bruce Clay Incorporated. They've made Inc. Magazine's list of growing private businesses and have exhibited and sponsored at my conferences since the very beginning. You've seen their search engine relationship chart or you've read their SEO code of ethics. So you know their SEO experts, but did you know they can help you with PBC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding? Yep, get everything you need for success in the online marketplace. You can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years with offices worldwide, they've got the answers you need. Check them out today at BruceClay.com. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. And we're back, and we're talking with John Ferrara, the founder of Nimble, um, which is um, an award-winning software, um, recently voted number one um, for CRM for small business um, by... Um, technology advice, but John, um, you you live in, in your offices are in Santa Monica. How important has that been for um, you know, be, to success? Being as part of this whole Silicon Beach um, concentration and growth. Well, I love Southern California, Bennett. Um, I built my last company here. Uh, I really appreciate the access to talent that we have, but more importantly. I think there's less noise down here, uh, and I'm comparing us to San Francisco right. Bay area. Uh, I think that uh, it would cost us more money uh, to uh, bring on talent, and uh, and there'd be more risk of that talent getting uh, potentially um, stolen uh, because of uh, because of the noise that's happening up in the Bay Area. I really believe that. Um, you can actually hire people if they don't have a technology background. And in some cases, it's a better hire for your company. It's one of the things I learned at Goldmine is that uh, what you want to do when you're hiring people for your company is look for somebody who's a cultural fit, that they have a strong desire to learn and grow, and that they have the ability to do simple research and write because ultimately if you can hire people with a liberal arts background and they know how to communicate effectively uh, and they're a great human being, you could teach them the technology that they need to do. And if you do that, uh, they'll be worth more money. They'll grow a lot. And the culture you create by bringing on people and growing them and seeing them move up the ranks in your company, it transforms people. And I believe that's what we did at Goldmine is uh, is we brought in people who understood uh, customer service, like hairdressers, uh, people that uh, had been serving food before. Uh, we hired people with history degrees. Uh, Natalie Burdick, who was a recent graduate when she started at Goldmine as the receptionist, later moved on to VP of product. And so uh, I really believe that uh, that in Southern California, you can build an incredible technology company that you don't necessarily need to pay somebody $250,000 a year and they have all this technology background, that you could hire human beings that are a cultural fit and uh, and build something amazing. And that's what we're doing here in Silicon Beach. I love being here. I love the community. 
and uh, also like the sunshine. It doesn't hurt, although we had quite a bit of fog this week. So if people, if people sign up for Nimble, you know, what's the difference they're going to see in the next first six months? Well, I think the key thing that uh, makes Nimble awesome is that it automatically builds uh, the database for you. And let's face it, uh, the computer should do more as much of the work possible so we can do the human thing. And so Nimble builds this platform, and you can then go to it and, uh, and start identifying the people that you should be connecting with and connecting in a much more effective way. The thing I love about it is it works everywhere you work because let's face it. You don't want to go to your contact tool or your CRM to log and update stuff because we all live today all over the place. We live in our inbox. We live in Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, and, and more and more in, in a variety of locations. Nimble works everywhere you work, including your mobile, and that's the thing I really am excited about. Uh, so I encourage you to uh, sign up for Nimble. Follow us on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter. I'm John, J-O-N underscore Ferrara. F-E-R-R-A-R-A. And make sure you sign up for an account on all the different identities. Put a good picture, a basic bio, and start identifying content that will inspire and educate your audience around you and start building your brand and growing your network to achieve your business dreams. Well, John, I got, I mean, we only have a few seconds left, but I, I got to tell you, we've got a whole segment without a Mae West quote. Um, you know, I'm at a loss. What do I do? Well, you know, I, uh, I admire strong women uh, like your wife, Wanda, uh, Thank as you, you know. Um, and I think that they're, they're, uh, they, they're underutilized uh, and under misunderstood. Mae West was an amazing entrepreneur back in the day. She was also an actress. Uh, but I think the key thing in business is just being top of mind. You don't have an opportunity for the business if you're not thought of when that person's making a buying decision. And today, you can't get that top of mind by advertising or telling people how great you are. People don't buy great products. They buy better, better versions of themselves. So if you teach people to fish, they'll figure out yourself fishing poles. And as Mae West said, out of sight is out of mind and out of mind is out of money. Honey. There you go. Or did she say, is that your poll or are you happy to see me? But um, <laughs> any event, That's John. A good thing is okay. <laughs> it's been a great pleasure. And, John, are you speaking in the conferences soon if, if people want to try to catch you? Sure. I'm going to be up in the Bay Area in February. I'm speaking at the uh, Inside Sales Professionals uh, Conference. So uh, I think that's February 12th. So if you're in the Bay Area, um, come meet me in person, um, but be sure to reach out to me because I'm a human being. I love to connect with people. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing, Bennett, because I actually dig this stuff. And so I'm here to help people reach their dreams, and do, and I love it when they do it the nimble way. Great, John. It's been a pleasure. John Ferrar, Nimble, check him out. Um, he has lots of presentations and videos on the web, and it's a great product, so be sure to check it out. I'm going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to have Robert Ellis Smith talk about privacy and more after these messages. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. ShipStation helps online retailers ship orders faster. It's so easy to set up and use. ShipStation gives you tools to automatically import, 
manage, and ship your orders in the most cost-efficient way. Save money with the best USPS rates possible, as well as a free USPS account. ShipStation integrates with all the most popular e-commerce platforms and shipping carriers. Get shipping done no matter where you sell or how you ship. WebmasterRadio.fm listeners get an additional 30 days free after the free 30-day trial. Go to ShipStation.com slash WebmasterRadio now. Shipping Nirvana starts here. InternetMarketingINC.com is one of the fastest-growing full-service digital marketing agencies in the country, specializing in providing results-driven online marketing solutions. Internet Marketing Inc.'s passionate team prides themselves on staying ahead of marketing trends to create and implement campaigns that get more traffic to your website, gain positive brand awareness, and drive conversions. If you are looking for a data-driven approach to online marketing and advertising, call Internet Marketing Inc. today at 866-563-0620 or visit internetmarketinginc.com. All-inclusive marketing is the luxurious five-star resort of digital marketing. Welcome to All-Inclusive Marketing. Engage with All-Inclusive Marketing's award-winning strategists to ramp up your online profitability and brand exposure, driving new customer acquisitions, increased sales, and stronger buyer retention. Another mojito, please? All-Inclusive Marketing's full-service digital and performance marketing accommodates every brand, specializing in retail, travel, and software as a service. What a great room. The A in all-inclusive marketing means award-winning leadership, excellence in results, as well as an A rating by the Better Business Bureau. For reach, engagement, and conversion, it's all-inclusive marketing. Reserve a free consultation today at allinclusivemarketing.com slash radio. Introducing Rumble, the smart mobile management system, the first end-to-end mobile platform where you can make real-time app modifications from a point-and-click dashboard. Want to change the design of your app? Point-click, and it's live in real-time. Want to change the ad map of your app? Point click and it's live in real time. Want to change the content mix of your app? Point click and it's live in real time. Power your mobile business with Rumble. Are you ready to rumble? Visit www.rumble.me. The best gavel to gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. And we're back, and this is Bennett Kelly, and we have uh, got a gold star um, guest, um, Robert Ellis Smith, making his fifth appearance on this show. Um, somehow we haven't dissuaded him <laughs> so far. And uh, Robert, are you with us? I'm here. And um, Robert's the publisher of Privacy Journal, which is one of the oldest newsletters in North America. Um, he's also a publisher of a number of books on privacy, including one that was um, um, nominated for a, um, a, a prize for Book of the Year. And um, but it, I just discovered, you know, every time, Robert's like a fine wine. You, you, let, it, you let it sit out and it, the flavor just grows. And, you know, we've talked earlier about Robert's background um, as uh, the prank that was pulled during the Harvard-Yale game in 1961 where he, he posed as President Kennedy and caused quite a stir. And we've also talked, Robert's uh, written a number of um, Books and um, has been very involved in um, Block Island, which is a, an island off the coast of Rhode Island, a very beautiful, pristine place, and we've talked about that. But I was going through Robert's bio last night, and uh, you know, he he was involved with a group uh, called it was the Southern Courier, and it was a, a newspaper based in Alabama and Mississippi, I believe, that focused on 
um, the civil rights and other you know, go, events going on at the time. And he was down there in 1965 and 1966, which would have been just after um, the, the civil rights freedom civil rights workers were being killed in Philadelphia, Mississippi. So um, very fascinating to see. And since we have Selma, you know, being um, broadcast in cinemas you know, across the country, um, Robert, you know, what was it like, um, you know, seeing that commemorated, and, and what was it like being there at the, at that time? Well, it's an extraordinary experience. I have not seen the movie yet, but uh, I did see the cast of characters in a review, and of the 11 lead characters uh, uh, in the movie, I, I knew 10 of them uh, and associated with them quite a bit. I'm suspicious that the 11th might be a composite. I don't know. I didn't know the composite. But uh, that, coupled with when I go back to Montgomery, uh, there are plaques on every one of the sites where I used to hang out and talk to these civil rights leaders and collect the news and, in fact, put our newsletter, our newspaper together in, in Montgomery. It's very heady stuff. I, I was the editor of this weekly newspaper in a very dangerous time at the age of uh, 27, uh, just after having been a journalist at college. And now, in the aftermath, uh, I'm just rather awed by the way I have been a part of history uh, and the places and people that I was so heavily involved with during that period are now famous historical figures. Yeah, and you don't you don't realize at the time it's just happening. You're just that's right. It. And it, it's um, a good thing you don't recognize it at the time. Yeah, because right, there's work, there's work, work to be done. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. There's that, and then you might be hesitant, you know, because I'm sure. not, you know, obviously, it's um, one thing that struck me when I went to Montgomery on business was um, I went to the um, Southern Poverty um, Law Center in uh, where the, the Civil Rights Memorial is and uh, just seeing the number of people who were killed in the struggle. But then, uh, this was in the 90s, and then I, I went, in, went to go inside just to see, I assumed they maybe had some display inside. And there was extreme securities, the doors were locked, I couldn't get in unless I had a prior appointment. And you know the fact that in the '90s they they had to be you know that highly guarded, um, you know, which is disappointing. Yeah, uh, that center has been the target of the KKK and the subsequent groups, the hate groups in in the American South. And uh, Morris Dees has been threatened and has 24-hour surveillance protection. So uh, I hate to admit it as a privacy person, but the threats have been so real and so imminent that I I think they have no choice but to keep that place very closely guarded. And and so you knew, you said you knew 10 of the 11, so, um, you know, we're here to have you talk about privacy, but just, you know, any <clears throat> any any recalls about um, John, John Lewis or Dr. King or Andrew Young that, you know, come to mind? Well, it, I think, I'm told that the film Selma portrays this, but there was conflict there, for sure. Dr. King was not just running around making speeches and, firing up crowds, he, he had to deal with uh, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee as personified by John Lewis, Julian Bond, and, and others who wanted to take a much more assertive approach. And I think probably had the ear and the eyes of Southern uh, indigent poor people, especially in the rural areas. And uh, King had to deal with that. And he was a master negotiator, I think, behind the scenes uh, as well as publicly. And that's part of the reason he was... Uh, Selected, but uh, one day he'd be at the White House and, and dealing with the president and others, and the next day he'd be dealing with Stokely Carmichael in the dust of Lowndes County and trying to uh, uh, get a movement uh, uh, fired up. And uh, 
what marked him, I think, was patience and and uh, persistence, uh, more persistence than than patience. Uh, as many people know about his famous letter from the Birmingham jail, in which he turned back other ministers' requests that he go slow. Uh, I guess they were afraid of violence or rapid social change, and he confronted that pretty well. But he was awfully persistent, and anybody who's been involved in public affairs knows that that's the key. You've got to outlast the opposition. That's otherwise, if you, if you go away, uh, they've won. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we had Tavis Smiley on, who has the book Death of a King, you know, focusing on the last year of Dr. King from his um, April 4, 1967 speech against the Vietnam War to his death exactly a year later. And um, yeah, I don't know if you had a chance to, to read the book, book or have you seen any of its coverage? I haven't, no. I mean, his whole point is that, you know, it's great that we commemorate Martin Luther King, but in some ways we, we've made him bland. And that he really was somewhat of a controversial figure, and um, you know, a lot of what he was advocating for is being ignored today. Oh yeah, absolutely. And even among my friends and family who ridiculed Dr. King while he was alive, now he is uh, adored and right. uh, in death, and that's very discomforting to me. They don't realize uh, how difficult life was for them. Can you imagine getting off an airplane and going around rural Alabama and seeing these huge uh, billboards that said you were a communist and that you were attending communist training camps? And They had that all over the place. And then when he won the Nobel Prize, the southern bigots said, well, the Nobel Committee in all of Norway is communist too, so uh, that has no credibility. Uh, he, he, uh, he admitted that he was scared all the time. He, did, he didn't pretend to be a very courageous guy, although in fact he was, but what helped him was a sense of humor. He and Ralph Abernathy actually uh, uh, could keep each other laughing as they <laughs> went through this turmoil, and they had plenty to laugh about because many of the Southern bigots were kind of laughable buffoons, and they made many mistakes along the way, and Abernathy and King would, would love to joke about all the mistakes the opposition made. Now, you, you talk about um, you know Dr. King and an error of great change. And, um, you know, kind of segueing to what you, your career has been post the Southern Courier, um, you've had great change in technology. Um, and you've been throughout, you've been focusing on the, its implications for privacy. And um, we had a very unusual State of the Union address this time because I, I can't recall a single um, State of the Union address where Internet issues were so prominent. And among them was uh, President Obama's privacy proposals. Um, what, what was your thought about that? <coughs> Excuse me. Indeed, uh, he mentioned privacy three times. It's not a record. Uh, Carter's uh, State of the Union message and one by Nixon uh, mentioned privacy quite a bit. But it is unusual in the Internet era to see privacy get such attention. And I guess it's first cousin, uh, cybersecurity. Most of what the president is coming up with in a privacy message that he delivered about 10 days ago before the State of the Union message are recycled proposals that have been around the Congress for many, many months. That's not unusual. Uh, so it is disappointing that the White House has not come up with a totally new and comprehensive plan for guaranteeing privacy. What they have done is endorse four or five uh, longstanding proposals. Uh, whether that will propel them through the Congress or not, I don't know. But it's gratifying for somebody who has been in this field for 40 years reporting on it to see privacy elevated to a high plane uh, by the White House. 
And um, you know, one of the, the things he was promoting was the Consumer Privacy Bill of Rights. And you know, I've often said that the challenge with privacy and is that there are too many people involved in at the table for you know reaching a policy consensus. You know, there's all the, there's the advertisers, there's the websites, there's the data brokers, there's the privacy groups. I mean, there's so many different people, and it's hard to get consensus. And so, you know, I give them credit, actually, for at least jump-starting what had become dormant. I mean, in the last year of um, you know, the last Congress, I mean, privacy bills went nowhere. I mean, there's a lot of focus on the NSA. And, you know, I don't know if the president really has any solutions on that. Well, what are your thoughts? I'm not sure that he does either, but at least it was heartening that last night he mentioned in his speech that he has not forgotten about the NSA surveillance and the Snowden revelations. Uh, that's a message to somebody within the government. That's very helpful. Your, your observation about too many people getting involved is certainly true. And as with many other issues, uh, within the administration, there are different views. And unfortunately, the Consumer Bill of Rights is in the hands of the Department of Com- uh, Commerce, where there are many uh, uh, pro-business types who are going to put their fingerprints on the final product. It is written by a group that doesn't know much about privacy, that takes a pro-business knee-jerk uh, reaction to just about everything, and omits a, a lot of, of the intense privacy issues going on right now. Uh, it was launched by John Kerry's brother, of all people, right. Cam, Cam Kerry, who at the time was general counsel of the Department of Commerce, a very odd place to put uh, the responsibility for developing a government-wide, nationwide uh, privacy policy. He has since left, but he's still involved with it. And uh, the view they project to European counterparts about Americans' attitudes towards privacy are rather gothic and strange and inaccurate. I mean, they portray the American people as not very much interested in privacy protections. And they say our American system is uh, not tolerant of a strong regulation in that field, and that's just not true at all. So I'd feel much better if the Federal uh, Trade Commission or some other department, even the Department of Health and Human Security, uh, Human Studies, or or the Department of Justice were involved in this, because what will come out in a month is probably just a rehash of what came out three years ago, which is a pro-business, pro-status quo document. And... Um what would you? I mean, the FTC. We have a new, relatively new chairman, Edith Ramirez. You know, what is your take been on in terms of her? I mean, she's expressed a lot of concerns about big data and the Internet of Things. Um, any first impressions there? Yeah, in fact, I think her speech about two weeks ago was more um, uh, important than what the president did last night in the State of the Union, because to have the chair of the Federal Trade Commission, which now has more and more responsibility in the privacy field. To have that chair express uh, a uh, need for an aggressive, assertive policy uh, 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 to protect consumers in the privacy field is, is very significant. Uh, there are a couple of other commissioners, including Julie Brill, who was very, very vigorous in Vermont in propelling the attorneys general of all the states to uh, get involved in privacy protection in a very positive way. Uh, she, too, is on the commission. And... Uh, They've been the most vigorous of, of all the agencies. One of the fascinations of covering this field, I guess, is that, as you mentioned, everybody's got a piece of the action. There are four or five federal agencies that are involved in one way or another, and uh, the Federal Trade Commission seems to be taking the lead in this. Uh, 
and they've had the most vigorous policy after years and years of a very dormant uh, approach towards regulation uh, of American business. Um, not only uh, are there many federal agencies involved, but there are many people in different um, disciplines. Uh, uh, first of all, in different job categories, there are academics involved in this, and journalists right. and computer programmers and many others. It's not like most other fields where people are trained all in the same discipline. It's quite diverse. Now, when I was in, in law school at our alma mater in Georgetown, um, I was working for a lobbyist, a K Street lobbyist, and doing um, working on banking issues. And seeing what it took to get a banking bill passed, um, you know, just the, the, all the different regulators, you had different committees, you had banking, you had um, the, ju- the Judiciary Committee, um, and then you had, you know, the banking, the insurance, the securities people. I mean, just putting, setting up the table for any meeting of that was, was just a complex affair. And I, I see great parallels here. You have, you know, in the Congress, there's the Commerce Committee and the Senate Commerce Committee. And then there's, you know, Justice, excuse me, the Judiciary Committees, that each that have responsibility here. And then the federal government, you have the FTC, you have the Commerce Department, you know, the Justice Department, all these different bodies all having a say and all having different approaches and philosophies. Yeah, that certainly has been a problem. Uh, uh, a good example, I think, is uh, Senator uh, Rockefeller of uh, West Virginia, who worked, uh, oh, for the last 10 years to get yes. some sort of protection of the collection of information uh, online, the internet usage in by search engines that used to exploit people commercially and uh, he finally was putting the finishing touches on all of this, and then he retired. He's he's out of the Congress now, and we really have to start all over again. So uh, privacy doesn't fit into any, any one of these jurisdictions, unlike uh, equal opportunity, uh, uh, the environment, uh, transportation, um, climate uh, change, and all alike. Right. You can you can find a home for those in the Congress, but privacy uh, isn't that way. A lot of the president's message relied on what's already been done in California. The attempt was just to emulate what's going on there. And one thing they've done, as they've done in the past, is to designate a single committee in the legislature to deal with privacy, and that really helps things. That that just happened this year, yes. And you know, we have a, an attorney general who's been very aggressive on privacy, and um, Senator Boxer just announced that she's not running for re-election, and the attorney general has indicated that she will run. So if, if she's elected, there'd definitely be someone who would be a strong um, privacy advocate. So just in, um, we only have a few minutes left, Robert. Um, if, if people want to uh, learn more about you know, the Privacy Journal, and also you, you, you teach at Roger Williams College, um, you know, where can they find that? Yeah, indeed. It's privacyjournal.net. And on there you'll see lots of uh, uh, tips for protecting your own privacy and also tips for developing a privacy policy for your own organization privacyjournal.net, and there's a place there to send email to me, the publisher, and I'll try to answer people's questions about privacy, but also I'll send them a sample copy of the newsletter. It's available in hard copy and uh, in, in a PDF uh, electronic version uh, every, every month, um, and uh, we'd, we'd welcome people's queries. It's privacyjournal.net. Been around for 40 years. The issue keeps changing, so I haven't gotten burned out yet. <laughs> and what, what are you teaching at Roger Williams? Uh, of course, in privacy, actually. It's a fascinating field, both the tort uh, aspect of it, where if a private individual exploits your name or reputation or 
discloses facts about you that's actionable as a tort in civil court, but uh, some privacy uh, invasions are criminal matters. Uh, and also there's an awful lot of privacy protection built into our Constitution and also to the statutes that have been passed. So uh, my seminar talks about all the different ways that the law protects privacy. Well, um, it's always been a pleasure, Robert. Um, Robert Ellis Smith, the Privacy Journal from my hometown of Providence, Rhode Island. And um, do, do check out Selma. Um, I'm hoping to actually go to the, um, the anniversary march and um, of the anniversary of Bloody Sunday. I believe it's March 7th. And um, I, I probably should go since I, I have a Huffington Post piece saying I'm going to Selma. So <laughs> that would be a good idea. But anyway, yeah. Robert, it's always been a pleasure. And I was really fascinated to read about the Southern Courier. And Thank you. Um, hats off to you for having the courage to do that in, in earlier in your career. And uh, thanks again. Um, next week, we're going to have Stan Stahl. We're going to talk about cybersecurity, another important component of the President's State of the Union message. Um, but until then, this is Bennett Kelly. You've listened to Cyberlaw and Business Report. Thanks for joining us. Check out our blog at cyberlawradio.wordpress and learn more about these issues and Robert's background and um, as well as uh, John Ferrar's background. And uh, we'll see you next week right here on Cyberlaw and Business Report. Thanks again. Courts adjourned. This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.WebmasterRadio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.